Lewis, it's great to have you with us today on the eve of the re-release of your book, Money and Class in America. And I wanted to start out by asking you, what does money and class mean in the American imagination? The American dream is an interesting phrase because the first time it appears, it's not an idea, it, it's not a phrase that appears anywhere in the 19th century. It's not in the founding documents. It doesn't appear in the writings of Jefferson, Lincoln, Whitman, Twain, Melville, nowhere. It, the first time it shows up, it shows up in a headline in the New York Post in 1900. And the understanding of the American dream is a dream f that in includes everybody, what, what Thomas Paine meant by the birthday of a new world. Mm. And so the headline in the post is that this new, the millionaires, you know, the robber barons are corrupting it. They're the enemies of the American dream. Hmm. They, they are... Not the avatars, uh, no, but the enemies. Right. And now it's 100 years later and they've become the avatars instead of the enemies. We've reversed it. And the reversal starts in the 1920s. You know, the the salesman of prosperity. Your book is a satirical look at the 1980s, the go-go 80s. Yeah. Uh, and a figure arises, he sort of pops up like a garish jack-in-the-box, and right. he's leering from the walls of college students who have put his poster up like a rock star. Right, no, yes, in, in 19, the book was came out in 1988. <clears throat> exactly 30 years ago, and Trump was uh, a leading man in, in the American uh, celebrity circus. His, he, his photograph appears on the cover of Time, smiling and holding the jack of diamonds. His photograph is on the cover of Playboy magazine. He's an admired figure, and the gossip columns are, are uh, drawn to him like moths to a flame. The American dream as infinite wealth gets its, that interpretation starts in the 20s, but then it reverses itself again uh, in, you know, with the New Deal and, and sort of through the end of the New Deal, World War II, mm -hmm. and then the pretty well evenly di distributed prosperity in this country in, in the 1950s and even into the 1960s. But then Reagan is elected in, in uh, 1980 to take down the, the whole New Deal. He actually says great again, and the, uh, but a place where someone can always get really rich. The night before his inauguration in 1981 was a big celebration in Maryland, and the, uh, he had on stage, he had Charlton Heston and Frank Sinatra singing America the Beautiful, and they rolled General Omar Bradley in a wheelchair, five-star general, hero of World War II, onto the stage. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a spectacle. It, yes, but it, it was it was uh, money had been restored to its proper place. What's amazing is that in 
in your writing in the 1980s, you looked upon Trump as a figure who was so over the top that surely people must realize that this game has gone too far. Yes. And yet here yeah. we are. And so if you could have said to yourself back then that this man was going to be president of the United States, how would your 1980s self have reacted? I wouldn't have believed it. The late 1980s, it's also movie Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Greed is Tom, good. Greed is good. Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities. Uh, Madonna, Material Girl. I mean, Helen Gurley Brown at, at the Cosmo saying that, that women can have it all. That attitude is, is, is the attitude that was... Um, in play mm -hmm. in Kavanaugh's bright college years. Well, this, 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 <laughs> it's interesting that you, that you bring up that name because you're looking at wealth and privilege in America. And here we have Kavanaugh, who is a, a, a Yaley. He's a, grad, a graduate of your alma mater. True. And, uh, yeah, very much a son of American privilege. And, and I wonder how this reflects on our current attitude towards money and class, because both of those issues have been debated in the last few weeks. Well, yes. I mean, our, our you know, colleges, I mean, the Ivy League type colleges, the ones that uh, Kavanaugh went to, and uh, I went to, I mean, have always, uh, that attitude of privilege is already, and entitlement has, has always been uh, uh, <laughs> Part of the deal. Yale is is founded in 1701, and the for the first hundred years, maybe first 150 years, the number one ranked student in the class was the one whose family was the richest. But it was also what we saw uh, with the election of George H. W. and George W. Bush. Both I mean, yeah, I mean, I think George W. W. Bush was a member of the same fraternity that uh, Kavanaugh was. Deke, yes, Deke. I think you're right. Deke. Yeah. Do you remember them? I remember Deke in 1956, and it was a, it was, a, you know, an animal house. <laughs> I once wrote a column for Harper's Magazine, trying to figure out which college. I, I, as between Harvard, Yale, and the University of Chicago, mm -hmm. the graduates of which college had done the most damage to America over the last hundred years? And what was your conclusion? I came up with Harvard. Okay. <laughs> Money is the uh, beginning, middle, and end of the story. <laughs> It's interesting because because the the class issue surrounding Trump, you know, he's he's not um, he's not associated with let us say the equestrian classes necessarily. No, no, he's not. Might not have been invited into some of those no, clubs. Right. He's he's new money. He's new money, but uh, very unapologetic. Yeah. Avatar of new money, which is yeah. very maybe even would you say that might even be more appealing now, because social and economic mobility has slowed down and people, their expectation of sort of joining these lofty oh. equestrian classes has diminished. Yeah. No, I mean, we make, I mean, our popular media makes heroes out of the billionaires, just mm -hmm. the same way they did 
at the end of the 19th century with the robber barons. Whether they went to Yale or not. Right, and most of those people came from nowhere. Right. I mean, you know, miners or, or <coughs> people that had <coughs> stolen something. But but they were, uh, you know, those are the, the Gilded Age heroes, and the press loved them. I mean, the, they all have, their pictures are on the pa papers every day, right? The, the uh, Mrs. Astor's 400, uh, you know, John Jacob Astor, the founder, was a, was a uh, fur trader from Germany. Vanderbilt was a Dutch ferry boat captain from Staten Island <laughs> and, and a real thug, you know, in my lifetime. But certainly ever since the late 70s, I mean, it just, the covers of all the magazines are, you know, rich celebrities or, or rich millionaires, or the, the most important person in Wall Street or the most, you know, those are the people at whom the advertising and the newspapers and the magazine is directed. Yes. And, and those are the people for whom the, the, the news is made. Let's go back to the, the founding and the, what, what was set up in, in uh, the Constitution in 1787 is what Franklin called a republic. You know, a woman asked him at the end when they signed the document, and she said, what, what have you done? And, and the, uh, Franklin said, a republic, madam, if we can keep it, right? So they had a republic, which is an oligarchy. Mm -hmm. All government is an oligarchy. There's, there's no way around it. I mean, the the. Uh, <clears throat> but it was to be, and it was trying to find a balance. This is, you know, it's explained in Aristotle. It's explained in Plato. It's explained in Montesquieu. Explained in Hobbes. I mean, it, how do you balance? Uh, how do you find some kind of? Uh, mediation between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. How do you give the poor some share of uh, political power? This was what, the, what the, the founders were trying to do with the Constitution. They were trying to balance a democratic society, which we are, and, and most societies, you know, form community or form uh, Clans or tribes or however you want to describe it are are uh, democratic in in their dealings among themselves. <coughs> but we had a democratic society from people all over, and, and so there was a general spreading of of the the democratic. Uh, uh, sense of, of a common humanity, mm. which extended to strangers as well as to, because we're all strangers, you know, in 1787, we're all from someplace else. And the, uh, <clears throat> how do you balance a democratic society with a capitalist economy? Because a democratic society puts a premium on equality. You know, you and I, Look, we one another face to face, and, and we, we try to deal on some level of co our common humanity, right? Irrespective of class, 
inequality is what one is after, buy cheap, sell dear. I mean, <laughs> you see what I mean? It's yeah. a, it's a so we have different. a constant tension between Yes, we do. And, and, and the, uh, yes, we do. We have that. That's the kind of the American dialectic. We've had that, uh, that constant tension. It runs all the way through our, our, our history. At this moment, how do you think we're doing on that balance we're not, between... We're not doing very well at all. I mean, we, we let it get so way out of imbalance. It was imbalance when I write this book in, in uh, 1988, 30 years ago. It was, it was out of balance already. I mean, in 1984, for the first time in the history of, of America, money earned from dividends and rents exceeded money earned from wages. And that was 1984. And that's just, it was bad <laughs> in 1988, but it is much worse uh, now. Do we live in a democracy? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't, well, we, li we live in, in a heavily compromised democracy. We live in a, in a, in a badly uh, weakened democracy because democracy is really about, is an idea. It, you never succeed in, in making it a fact. It's an aspiration and you have to keep working at it every day. This is what's, and if you don't, you slide back into uh, some form of fascism. Government by the people, for the people, and, and uh, of the people is very, very hard to do. And the, uh, the hardest form of, obviously, government. But, the, the, uh, but it, it requires, to be, to be understood as a democracy, requires faith, good faith in, in that enterprise, in that uh, aspiration and in answer to your question, are we a democracy? I would say no, because the there's been a loss of faith hmm. in the democratic idea. How do we get it back? That I don't know, but the uh, we've gotten it back before. I mean, I mean, we 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 lost it. Uh, in the years after the Civil War, and, and we got back to it uh, during the Progressive Era. We got back to it during the era of the New Deal. What was once a, a relative, what, what had been intended as an enlightened oligarchy in 1787 <coughs> is now a stupefied plutocracy. You have Iraq, I mean, you have George Bush invading Iraq. Um, it, uh, <laughs> you, you elect Donald Trump president of the United States. I mean, the, uh, you dumb down the, the, um, the education at, at the, not only our, our grammar schools and public schools, but also at our private universities. And you've bucked that trend. You have a quarterly, yes. the Lapham's Quarterly, which is dedicated yes. to the study of history. Yeah, and it's beginning to, and its circulation keeps going up. Well, there's a it's not a huge audience, but it's steadily rising. The, so the, is that uh, part of the antidote 
or, or, or yes. the mechanism that could get uh, us back in balance? Yes, I think so. Well, How does history it would, it help would us give you a sense of, of uh, who you are and, and where you come from and uh, how we got here. On the, uh, uh, it would under, we, we also understand that our past is, is an enormous resource. I mean, the, the founding uh, framers, history was, they were all you know, absorbed in the reading of history, and, and the history was as much of a natural resource as the, you know, bountiful wilderness. I mean, where do they get the ideas from the Constitution? They get them from all over the place. They get them from Aristotle, but also Montesquieu, Locke, Hobbes, Machiavelli, David Hume. I mean, I mean, they, as well as the Bible. I mean, the, uh, these are people that could read languages and that uh, considered themselves uh, natural philosophers. They were as interested in in the flora and fauna of the present as they were in the uh, chapters of the past. And is there any chance that we can move past the stupefied plutocracy that you describe now and get, and, and get to something, well, yeah, one something hopes. better? Yeah, yes, I mean, that. You, you can see signs of that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the, uh, the response to uh, the response, you know, the kids in the, from the parkland, you yes. know. Uh, <laughs> Protesting gun violence. Yeah, and yeah, but actually ready to do something about it and the, uh, make a coherent uh, re response. If you want democracy, you have to be ready to struggle. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's yeah. never easy and it's no. always a mess. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Well, yes. thank you so much okay. for joining us today, Lewis. It's, thank you it's very always much, a pleasure Lynn. to talk to you, and, um, okay. and we look forward to your book coming out Great. at the end of October. Thank you. Thank you very much.